Hi everyone, welcome to Two Drunk Fans. You might notice I don't sound like I'm on Mars anymore. <laughs> Reporting back to NASA Mission Control. How was um, outer space? Tonight on Two Drunk Fans, we have a special guest with us. A special... Like special like in air quotes. Yourself? Special in air quotes. <laughs> Hello, my name is Angela Harrison. I uh, am known on Twitter as at Thorns Analyst. I've been roped into uh, making a guest spot here on Two Drunk Fans, which I am thrilled to be here. Thank be you for be having be me. Really, because we want more listens. We we're really. I don't after know those. why you would have me on that. You <laughs> we have, you know, Jonana Widner or Chard Farley she, on there. <laughs> neither of those two would take my call. You were <laughs> roped. You were roped into this like, like, yesterday. Like Gabby was roped into eating bacon. Right. True. Right. That's True. fair. That's fair. Um, oh, I uh, we are drinking wine, and what what are you drinking? I am uh, I'm having right now. I'm currently having a vodka tonic. It's a pink grapefruit Belvedere vodka. Little tonic, little lemon. It's very good. That sounds lovely. It is. It's quite refreshing for the lovely weather we've been having here in Portland. Portland, Oregon has been lovely this time of year. Um, and I am drinking a Pinot Gris. Actually, the same Pinot Gris that I was drinking on Monday night when we did our bitching podcast. Podcast? Oh. Podcast. Um, okay. Okay. You don't want to know okay. what I drank either? And oh, you just want to skip oh right no, to no, 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 no. We, we want to know what you drank. Hey, Therese, what are you drinking? A, you would be a really bad spy. <laughs> and B, I've had several things to drink tonight. I was at a friend's birthday party, and I had some vodka tonic and a rum and coke and some red wine and some whiskey. And now I'm having some more red wine. So I am primed and ready. Literally, you know? I just got a sticky nose note put in front of my screen that says the race on it. You Good. need you need all all the reminders you can you I can do. get, buddy. I do. Clearly, you need it. Yes. I do. Apparent. I don't know how I've survived four podcasts. I don't know either. That's some serious I'm editing. Really, I'm a really good. I know editor. it's hard for you to remember that some people have like. Stop! Don't make this up. Uh, born don't in 1943. Uh, <laughs> goddamn! <laughs> goddamn! Goddamn! So you forget some people want to remain anonymous on the internet. But all right, let all right, let's, let's go. go. Let's go, Argyle redhead. Whatever, dude. So we we've got our special um, conversational guest tonight. It's Hi. an interview. Um, we just, just want you to join our conversation. Just here um, drinking with the two drunk fans. She, yeah, I'm just, thrilled to be here. Just like every other night of the week. Actually, I'm thrilled right. that you are here in my house. Fist bump. Um, <laughs> so, so Ange, what's your, what are your credentials? Because they're more than ours. <laughs> at this point. I don't, I don't know. I uh, credentials. I, I played soccer a lot. I coached forever. I was with the Thorns last summer um, as the color analyst with the always amazing Ann Schatz, who uh, was just a absolute professional to work with. I adore her. What were you doing in 1999? In 1999, I was preparing for my senior year of college. I was an intern for the Women's World Cup, and I was the assistant venue media operations officer for the Portland venue, 
for the Women's World Cup. So I helped oversee the setup of the Portland venue from a media perspective and making sure that uh, press row was all handled and dialed in. So that's what I was doing. So so you're a little bit familiar with the Women's World Cup. And, yes. And that's kind of something that we want to talk about tonight because recently FIFA opened up the um, bidding Such a good segue. For, Such for, a smooth segue. Wow, thank you, Thrace. Like ruining, butter. Smooth ruining like that butter. Um, we're gonna keep it was it so in, smooth, the coefficient of friction was approaching zero. Hey, hey, it was guess, amazing. Guess what? We're going to keep all of this shit. Okay? Um, so, so in, in 99, you got... So, in 99, um, you, you worked with the uh, different organizations mm-hmm. that were responsible for putting together the World Cup. So, you have a bit of background as to what would go into putting together this type of um, large-scale event. Right. And recently, FIFA has opened up bidding for these types of events. And two countries that kind of stand out to us are Japan and South Africa. Sure. Um, as South Africa, number one, is being like the first, and Thrace, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the first country that's actually put in a bid for the Women's World Cup, right? I think Japan said all along that they wanted it like japan is kind of becoming this this growing hotbed of women's soccer but i feel i think south africa is like officially the first one to say yes we're bidding for the women's world cup i think that's it well i mean i think um yeah south africa has has thrown in as well as um from a list that i've seen you know japan but also sweden australia brazil and poland um unofficially according to wikipedia have have thrown in you know the one thing to to remember about this the men's world cup when they go through the hosting um the country has to be able to host the confederations cup the year prior to the world cup on the women's side since they don't have a confederations cup it's the under 20 women's world cup so the thing i think that fifa will be looking for is in awarding these bids is what is the strength of the youth programs do they have a good credible under 20 women's program that can host the under 20 women's world cup the year prior to the actual world cup. So, I mean, you're looking at South Africa and Poland and, and even, you know, to a very large extent, Brazil, you know, what, what's their youth program like? Are they going to be able to field an under 20 program in those tournaments and be competitive? It is, is the under 20 really the defining program or is it the under 23s? I mean, we just saw the under 23s be in Spain. Um, for the USA and and perform really well, but I mean it wasn't a tournament; it was kind of just getting knocking the rust off. Um, at what point do we say, okay, we're really putting all of our eggs in the in the basket of the oh, under twenties or the under eighteens? Well, or... I mean, again, if you're going to compare and, and be competitive to the men's side, you know, the under twenty threes is the Olympic cycle. So, so the men, those are the those are the guys that compete on the Olympic squad. Um, for them, and and so the under twenty is really kind of the the feeder, the stepping stone, as you will, um, into the national team program. So if you're looking on the women's side, you know it was great that a, a number of players got called into the under twenty threes as they did, but you know how many of those players are going to be in, included into the full women's side in the next three to five years? I mean, they're really looking at the under twenties as kind of the next wave of players that are going to come through and be impact players into the national national team program yeah you're definitely gonna I mean, get those those uh standouts though that are yeah. gonna that are gonna show well in the under 23s that tom's gonna continue to call in like a like a short shorts 
Sure. Um, you're going to get those players that, that do, you know, pressure makes us. They're, mm-hmm. They they do a really good job. But, um, you know, the younger players are really hard for those of us who pay attention to the women's national team to, to keep our eyes on. Because mm-hmm. uh, with the college game and everything, it's really hard to, to keep perspective as to, you know, who's doing well, um, which team is performing well within NCAA, but which players should we actually keep an eye on? Sure. South Africa has clearly shown they already have infrastructure. My question would be, does South Africa, do they have, my other qualifications for hosting a Women's World Cup would be not just infrastructure, but do they also have a women's program that is going to benefit from the boost a Women's World Cup brings? Like, do they have a team that's that's kind of either on the verge or is already at the point of being like an international contender? Right, and I think that that's like when you look at a at a country like Brazil saying, "Oh, we we want to host the Women's World Cup," and and they really they're a federation historically who you know could give a toss about their women's program. You know, right. I, I think and, it's and just now for them parlaying. Yeah, they're trying to parlay that the 2014 World right. Cup and the 2016 Olympics. You know, can they use the same venues and justify the expense? Um, but they really have not shown any kind of interest in building their women's program at all. So why would FIFA, and I know this is a very funny question to ask, why, why would FIFA want to award them? But, you know, FIFA hasn't necessarily historically shown a great interest in seriously promoting the women's game um, either. I think uh, this past year in Brazil, they just launched a new women's league. It's like state-sponsored, something like that. Yeah, but it lasts it's like a... 12 weeks or something like that. Yeah, so it's not like it's... A great step forward. Marta won't even go back to play in Brazil because no, she knows I mean, she can't. She can't support herself there, and yeah. well, the game there. It's it's a. It would be a farce if she went back and played in Brazil. When when you have to make twenty five thousand dollars a month to support yourself, I question your budget. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, so I think it's I think it's a good list right now. I mean, Japan would be great. You know, FIFA's traditionally on the men's sides have always been hesitant to, to reaward um, cups to, to the same continent, you know, so it's been in China. So they think they would may want to spread it out. Who, who knows? I think South Africa is a good, a good shout. Um, but, but Japan's getting the 2020 World, uh, Olympics. Um, so they're already going to be building these facilities. They're already going to be FIFA doesn't care about the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> Fine then, Ange. <laughs> I just well shoot, Ange. Oh, way oh, to shoot me okay. in the foot. Oh, really? You're gonna go there okay. already? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I thought I it was gonna take you like two it more was, glasses it was, to get it to was that. Fifteen point. minutes in, and I said, "Well, yeah, shoot, you Ange. can't control yourself. You're like worst spy ever. So you know, unsubtle. You know, you, I like, can't. You busted out. To... Okay, so Japan. <laughs> I mean, I Japan, think Japan uh, would be great, but Sweden, I, I would I rather. Would I would rather go to Japan. I agree. South Africa. I mean, I'd like to see England. You know, England's made a really good push for their women's Didn't programs in the last two years. Yeah, the FAWSL Who I think has cares been a program. About the Olympics. Apparently, Shut your face. Apparently, no one does. Jesus Anyways, God. Thrace. <laughs> yes, the FAWSL has been. I know. I know. You don't need to show me the post-it note, dummy. <laughs> Um, you don't need to show the post-it note. She wrote the post-it note. Yeah. Stop it. You too. You're ganging up on me and I don't like it. Yeah, we are because you're, <laughs> you're an idiot. the weak link. Hey, the I weak figured link. out the technology. 
I'm just going to host you two on my... You're weak, and your bloodline is weak, right? <laughs> hey, we're going to watch what? Game of Thrones, and gonna... she's going to know what it's like to have, be cut out of a weak bloodline. Hey, you know what? You. you guys you guys carry on in conversation. I'm going to go get some more wine. So okay. just go... Okay. Just okay. talk about whatever you want to talk about. Okay. Okay, so uh, Gabby has uh, left us to go <laughs> refill, <laughs> refill her yeah. glass. Beer. But in the meantime, we're going to... You know, talk about other deserving nations who uh, we think. I think get... England. I think England would be a tremendous uh, a push because of all the the backing that they have started to put into their women's league and uh, the quality that that is is getting. I think you're right. Sweden would be fantastic, and I think France would be you know not not a bad choice either. Yeah, I think France would be decent. What do you think about Australia though? Uh, you know, again, you're dealing with uh, the summer to winter aspect. You know, and I think you know maybe the players would actually like playing in a, in a little bit of a cooler climate. Um, during the summertime tournament because it will be their winner. It's just, you know, for them, it's a, it's a stadium thing, you know, and you're going to need, now that the World Cup has been expanded um, to 24 teams, they're going to need to, you know, be able to, to host. They're need, need, going to need to be able to have, uh, you know, all the different venues. So can the A-League stadiums that they play in down there, are they, you know, equipped to host um, an event of this, you know, kind of magnitude? Well, yeah, on the infrastructure side, I would definitely say England, Japan, Sweden would be more equipped than Australia. Right. But Australia is another one of those nations, their women's team is kind of on the verge. Yeah. And so it would be nice to see FIFA reward them for all the work and progress they've made because with their women's Because you're right. I mean, they have been one of the um, first countries to really kind of put a, make a push into the women's professional mm-hmm. uh, you know, sports teams market. Them and Sweden were kind of you know, originators as well as Japan, um, to be fair. And then, you know, Germany and France have, have kind of come up and, and, and stepped into the, into the foray, um, as it, as it were recently. And so, yeah, I mean, I think you have a lot of good countries, but you know, is the interest there because with the 2015 world cup, Canada really was the only, only contender. Zimbabwe put in a bid for the tournament, but then withdrew it in like three months or four months after it was due. Um, so, so really, it's just uh, what country wants to make this kind of expenditure on a women's tournament? Because really, when com- uh, countries are bidding for the men's World Cup or the Olympics, Gab, um, you know, it, a lot of it has to do with the with the economic benefits that the um, spectators are going to bring to the area. And so, well, I think a lot of people are still skeptical, like how many women soccer fans. There are a lot of women soccer fans. Well, sure. Short term. We're just we're just rising to the surface. We're growing. Sure. Short term, I'm surprised there's not. Well, I I expect to see more European interest because it came out after the 2011 World Cup. Uh, Germany made like a cool 10 million in profit. Right. You know, but again, I think a lot of that has to do with the small size of the country, the easy accessibility. That's you know, that's Wait, the. Are you calling Germany small? Well, that would apply. Well, Geo- then that means geographically speaking, to- yes. Yeah, it would apply equally to Sweden, France, and England. I think it will be uh, really interesting to see who else comes in to bid for the the 2019 World Cup. Because, I mean, I think, you know, you can't... I don't know that FIFA can justifiably um, award the Women's World Cups kind of on the same basis that they do the men's. They like to, you know, switch the continents around, make sure that nobody hosts... You know, Europe can't host two or, you know, every other time. They want to make sure that it's it's split around, but I don't know if you can do that with the women because I don't know if the interest is there. I mean, I think South Africa would be 
a really cool place to host a tournament. But again, how many fans from Europe and how many fans from America really would travel to South Africa? I, I, I would go. I know you would go. So from a personal perspective, I would love to go down there, um, get kind of similar experience to what they received last World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they would do a good job of showing and you know we don't have as many teams involved in the world cup as the men's do as the men's side side does um i think there are a lot of other factors at at play there but Mm -hmm. at the same time like holy crap we don't talk about south africa with women's soccer at all yeah and that's why i said i think it's going to be difficult to for fifa uh, as much as people are like you know equal treatment for the women i don't think that they can they can award the Women's World Cup based on the same criteria that they do the men's in terms of rotating it among the continents and and things like that. I think that it really does, you have to, you know, like Thrace, you were talking about, you know, reward the countries that have really been making, you know, a financial investment and and putting a stake into growing the game and, you know, putting, putting money into their, not only their women's national team, but their youth national teams and their, in their youth programs to get more girls continuing to play soccer and be involved in the game. I do know South Africa just appointed a new head coach of their women's football team, Vera Powell from the Netherlands. Oh, that's kind of a positive step. They they did a search and they found like a, a qualified coach. It wasn't just some rando, you know. Yeah. So Banyana Banyana is <laughs> plus <laughs> that's yeah. Their team. Honestly, like why wouldn't you want to go to go support them? That is amazing. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So they're they're making. They're taking steps in the right direction. Um, I think right now their FIFA ranking is 51. That's well, what the internet says. I mean, yes. At, at, at this point, the internet never lies. At, at this point, any women's team can jump plus or minus like 10 points uh, given a good showing in any tournament. Um, we don't quite have the historical um, precedent as the men's side to say, you know, the USA is going to stay number one because we've been number one for so long. I, I don't think, I don't think FIFA rankings should play that big of a role in who gets the women's world cup. I think it should play. I, I think community, I think growth of the sport and I think um, equality should play a big part in that. And South Africa actually, actually meets uh, a huge portion of two of those three of those three factors. Well, and I think probably going to be a big factor again, is the strength of the team. And I think going, you know, what South Africa has going in their favor is that, you know, with the number of teams going from 16 to 24 for 2015, um, the, the Africa delegation is going to get three slots instead of two. So they actually have a really good chance to qualify for this 2015 tournament. And if they go and, you know, have a decent showing, then I think, you know, that's that's something that FIFA could, you know, take very seriously as far as, um, you know, the quality of their program and the ability to compete in the tournament. I, I still find it hard to believe that, or I guess hard to process, that FIFA would choose South Africa over Japan, um, given that Japan's going to get the 2020 Olympics. Um, Japan will be building new facilities. They have a growing uh, women's league. They have... Just a growing force. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I mean, since 2011, they've been a force in women's soccer. And why? Like, I, I can't just, I can't justify denying Japan the Women's <clears throat> World Cup. Like, I can't. Well, South Africa. 
Here's something interesting, just kind of poking around on the internet. Um, Japan had announced interest in bidding for the 2019 tournament, but then decided to bid only in 2023 to avoid conflict with the 2019 Rugby World Cup and the 2020 Summer Olympics. Oh, look at your internet knowledge. Hmm. So, Japan, out of, out of 2019. There we go. Don't even have to worry about it. Wow. That Don't... just, like, invalidated the past 15 minutes of Didn't it? Discussion. Didn't it, though? I feel like <laughs> I might... should. No, Where's the no, reset this button? This is going to be bloopers. This is going to be bloopers where we go, oh, Gabby was full of shit. Right there where she was like, oh, I'd really like to go to Japan. Okay. So, to put a cap on this conversation, Gabby, 2019, ideal country to host, where would you want to go to and why? USA, because I don't like traveling international. <laughs> Thrace, 2019 World Cup. Who do you want to see host it? Why? Um, USA, uh, USA. I believe they're not going to host it. Pick somebody real, I dumbass. In. I would say I a tie between in England we, and Sweden. I, I, I am right we. there with you. I really like to see England host it. Um, and I think Sweden has already done a good job back when they hosted in 95. So um, I think I'm I'm in agreement with Thrace, and I think Gabby can suck it. <laughs> so, so you're telling me I have to go to Europe? Europe I, is so I, fun. I have never been to Europe. I don't know. Don't this be like... afraid of the unknown, Gab. I need, I need... Don't base your opinion based on your fear of the unknown, okay? I need, That's not I productive. Need, I need adult supervision. Europe is not all like Liam Neeson movies and Taken. Uh, <laughs> did I... T- have I ever told you I own Taken 1 and Taken 2 on my iTunes? <laughs> and they're probably my most watched movies. I already assumed that about you. Right. I don't know why you like, tell me. Like, if I, if, 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 if I go to Europe, I am... Phoning my mother every hour, which is about 17 times more than I phone her now. We voted. Um, we voted that the moon should get uh, the Women's World Cup for 2020, uh, 2019. Um, then we should go to Japan for the 2023 Olympics of 2020. And then the Women's World Cup of 2023. So in between there, we have to colonize the moon and create turf fields um just like canada for the uh women's world cup (laughs) um which i think is totally reasonable totally reasonable uh thrace what do what what do you want to talk about next buddy oh we're gonna talk about women and women in ncaa soccer we really want to talk about what Ange is passionate about i'm not passionate about that i don't know i feel like you could be i can be I mean, I would. I'll be passionate would, about whatever you want me to I be want passionate you to be about. Passionate about women in women's soccer. Passion for hire. Like, sure. Well, like, what do you guys so, think about the topic? So, so I think something that spurs this conversation, something spurred this conversation on Twitter, was that the Thorns announced this. Not, not that the Thorns are be all and all, but the Thorns announced this week the the coaches for for the team. Mm-hmm. And we're dealing with four men mm-hmm. coaching a championship team mm-hmm. um, where there used to be a women's head coach. Granted, sure. we all have differing opinions about the women's head coach, but that's fine. Um, but at some point you have to say, is Paul Riley the most qualified? Are his assistant coaches the most qualified? And and you say, yeah, they they are. 
Um, so when did we start saying, okay, how do we get more women involved? And and I know uh, Thrace from from uh, your conversations on Twitter um, with with Johanna Loman uh, that there might be you know more conversations about how do we get more women involved. Um, well, it's not just conversations on Twitter. I actually found the hard statistics. There's a really good website where you can download because due to Title IX, colleges have to report their um, their athletic numbers and stuff like yes. coaches and uh, salaries and stuff. It's called a you can look it up on your own. The U.S. Department of Education has put it online. It's called the Equity and Athletics Data Analysis Cutting Tool, and it's at ope.ed.gov/athletics. And I actually downloaded a lot of statistics and. But I only did it for NCAA D1 four-year public and private nonprofit universities with greater than 5,000 undergrads. Mm-hmm. Because that gives you already 254 schools. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah, I, a, that is. And the, but that'll take out like most of the WCC because um, Portland's not over 5,000 students yeah. in Santa Clara and all yeah. those players. Uh, excuse me, places. You know, but but you're right. I mean, the, the numbers, the number of schools where you know, there's, there's available jobs is staggering, but, um, you know, I think that there's, there has to be two factors going into, um, adding more women, you know, to coach women. And and I think the, the biggest one is that, you know, women at this level, whether it's college, you go to professional or even the national team, they honestly don't care who's coaching them as long as they're competent. And, and I, and I've seen a lot of, you know, personally, I've seen a lot of women come through, um, you know, coaching licensing programs and things, you know, of that nature who, I mean, I, I've watched them run sessions. I've, I've listened to some of the things they've said, and I don't know if they completely know or under, you know, want to get soccer on kind of a, you know, a little bit more of a tactical, deeper level, if you know what I mean. I don't mean to be sounding disrespectful, but I think that there are, you know, a lot of women coaches who aren't competent. But I think that there are a lot of really, really great coaches out there, women coaches who are competent but aren't getting the, you know, aren't getting interviewed or aren't getting the looks for these jobs simply because, you know, you you still have a lot of uh, of coaches in positions who will hire friends or you know they think that you know I'm going to hire you know for example I'm going to hire a male goalkeepers coach because he can shoot a ball at my goalkeepers harder than a woman can, and I want my I want my players to be able to react. My goalkeepers should be able to react quicker, you know, to harder shots. And so that for them is, is what they perceive as their edge. And so I just think that there's a lot of coaches out there who won't give some of these competent women a chance, or, you know, even if they do, you know, they, they, a lot of ideas still may be discounted, unfortunately, because, you know, of underlying sexism, which is, which is a shame. So I, I think we see an NCAA D1 at least, um, men are moving into these positions because men have a head start. Mm-hmm. They just have a head start in sports. It's just the way it is. They've men were more have been involved in sports longer from like a the bottom level to the top. So of course there's going to be more men. And especially now that there are women's programs that get funding and have prestige, of course men are going to want those positions now right. that those positions are respected. Yeah, you know, and you know, for looking you know looking at it from that from that angle. You know, you look at some of these these part time jobs or, or a lot of these things that don't pay well. 
you know, but you have to put in long hours. I think a lot of, you know, and, and again, this just goes back to perspective. I think a lot of young guys out of college are fine with that. You know, they're okay kind of with getting paid peanuts, maybe working, you know, 18 hour days to camps to make that money back. Um, whereas a lot of women look at that and they're like, I'll just going to go get a real job. I don't, sorry, I hate that. I'm just going to go get a regular job and, you know, I'm going to support soccer and be around and maybe coach in a local youth league. But I, I have no interest in putting in that kind of time um, for something that I'm going to get paid very, very little for. Well, and they, like, they, they don't see opportunities in NCAA. Well, and look, they, yeah, look at it this way. In the last, I mean, in the history of, you know, the, the NCAA Women's Soccer Championships, Becky Burley from Florida in 1998 and Amanda Cromwell from UCLA in 2013 are the only two women's head coaches in history to have won titles. That's true. Everything else has been, you know, Anson Dorrance, uh, Chris Petroselli when he was at Notre Dame, Randy Waldron was, you know, when he went to Notre Dame, um, Clive Charles, Jerry Smith, um, Allie from USC when they won, uh, Paul Ratcliffe at Stanford. That's been it. Clive, well, people, Clive Charles, how how was he? He's a pretty good coach. He, he's a pretty good coach? Yeah. Yeah, did you like him? Clive Charles don't, might don't have been... Don't make me start crying. He's amazing. He might have been a really he, excellent he, guy. He, he might have been a, a been a good guy who... Uh, he might have been a, a, a great coach and a great person. Uh, he might have been. Clive Charles just understood what it took to make a champion. And well, he, he was he was a guy. I mean, so we're gonna go off on a little bit of a tangent. Yeah, he he was a, he was a, he was a coach who understood that you know coaching, coaching a team re- required coaching people and, and and interacting with young people as they are in probably one of the most critical development phases of their life, and, and that they're gonna they're, make mistakes and they're gonna do stupid things, or when they're being superheroes. Exactly, and when so it's up, it's performing above and beyond. So so for him, it was about coaching and and mentoring and dealing with a person, not necessarily just a kid who is there for four years to contribute to his program. And then they're gone. Uh, Clive Charles just, you know, he was the best man at, you know, his player's wedding after they graduated. You know, he was somebody that was involved and, you know, helped, helped young people work through all phases of their life. And and didn't just, it didn't just come down to, their performance on the soccer field. And that's that's really kind of what, what set him apart from um, a lot of other coaches. And I'm not saying that other coaches, you know, didn't do that. But he really uh, saw how all the pieces fit together. And, you know, when, when you made a mistake, he knew uh, inherently, innately, just, you know, whether to crush you for it or whether to put his hand on your shoulder and just kind of, you know, let you know that it was all going to be okay. I mean, when I was a senior, I got mono. Uh, my first game back, we played Santa Clara. We lost eight nothing. Um, that was a very special moment <laughs> in my career, and because, it and be, and it's be funny because you, you know mono. Jerry Smith, God love him, will still bring it up uh, and talk about that game. And every time I want to punch him in the shoulder and tell him that that still stings. But um, you know he, uh, you know after that game, Clive didn't you know look at me and go eight goals really seriously. What what the hell? You know, he just put his hand on my shoulder and said, you know, that's that's a learning lesson for all those freshmen that we started. He goes, and I know that that sucked for you, and you know, I know that that probably wasn't the last game that you wanted to remember playing Santa Clara, but you know, these kids are going to learn learn from this and 
trust me when I tell you that it's going to come back in a positive way someday. And three years later, the, the freshmen that were that year when I was a senior, they were the seniors that led Portland to their first national championship in 2002. Who, so, who were some learned. of those seniors? Uh, who were who were some of those seniors? Aaron Misaki, Lauren Orlandos, Lauren Orlandos, who just got the head coaching job down at San Jose State. Um, she had a, a little sabbatical. She was an assistant coach at Oregon, and then took a couple years off and is down but, at San Jose State but now. She's but she's a head coach down there. She's now women's D one soccer head coach. Exactly. Um, you know, Aaron Misaki, very good player on that team. Betsy Barr and uh, Emily Patterson were some of those seniors on that team, and of course, Christine Sinclair. The, who? Uh, Sinclair. I don't know if wait, you, if you wait. What's her. her first name? Who's Christine Sinclair? Chris, Christine. Just to bring it back to women in the NCAA, yeah, they, the NCAA is a ceiling. Yeah. Because there's only so many national team coaches to go around, and, I mean, just look at Pia Suntaga, who was asked recently, like, if a woman could coach a men's team, and she had to point out, like, Angela Merkel fucking ruin runs a whole country. Yeah, I was gonna say. Tells the unedited version of what Pia Sotagen. I mean, she said it probably in Swedish, like Angela Merkel, Borgaborg, Hordeborgen. But yeah, but yeah, the the Swedish chef is my favorite Muppet. The point remains, like, but the point remains, the NCAA is a ceiling. Women aren't advancing past that. There aren't a lot of. I mean, I think there's what two or three women now who have a UEFA Pro license, and Hope Powell is one of them. Well, so, what's Hope Powell doing these days? Yeah, I so mean, aside from, like, again, like, you look at, at, at Florida with Becky Burley, you, you look at Leslie Gallimore at UW, and, and now Amanda Cromwell at UCLA, how many, you know, top-level, strong female coaches can you name as the head of NCAA programs? Not many. Not many at all. You know, I think that you you do. I mean, you have to have really good credentials. And so we've talked about the problem. Like, what is the solution? Well, how I think, do we get? I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, administrators not being afraid to, to to hire a woman, but also not being afraid to look at the pool of candidates. And if you have a pool of five candidates, and you have, you know, three of them are women and two of them are men, and the women are pretty good, but you have a man that's extremely well qualified and is very, very, very good saying, you know, all right, we're going to give the job to the male coach, but, you know, hey, let's look at hiring some female assistants. You know, and I don't think there's a lot of male coaches who would be who, who are opposed to having female assistants on the staff because, in my experience, a lot of the male coaches like need the female for the female perspective and, um, you know, to make sure that they aren't being too hard on the kids and, and, and things like that. But I think it's it's – so many athletic directors face a, a difficult problem when they look at women's soccer because it is a non-revenue sport. It's Title IX. It's something that they're required to have. And for a lot of bigger programs, they have bigger fish to fry. You know, they're looking at their football and basketball programs. And so when there's a women's soccer vacancy or, you know, women's tennis or women's swimming or something like that, they're, you know, not going to spend a great amount of time on the search. But, you know, they're they're just – they're going to have to do their homework and they're going to have to understand, um, y- you know, that, that there are going to be some very good women's coaches and they're going to have to be okay with taking a chance on some people that, you know, might not normally get the shot. I think it's going to come from two different approaches combined together. One is going to be now there's more women involved in soccer at all levels. And as they come up through the ranks, just by, you know, 
percentage of total population, we're going to get more women involved in soccer, so we'll have more women coaches. And on the other side is, yeah, pushing universities and stuff to look specifically at women as coaches and administrators, because we saw how with Title IX, a federal mandate exploded women's sports. Mm -hmm. It it exploded. So Title IX did its thing, and it was like, oh, we're going to blow open this BB gun size hole of women's sports and equality. And, and just just to be clear, that wasn't what the amendment was about. I mean, right, the, right. The, it was it was it was buried in a larger bill that was aimed at desegregation. And it was like a very like that's why it's like the ninth item down on this long list to, or on this list of things that they're like and treat everyone equally. Yeah, <laughs> Make sure you just kind of throw treat, the women in there too, and it was kind of an unintended consequence. Of gender equally, yeah. But but I feel like title, we yeah, still, Title Nine was. Go ahead. Sorry, Gab. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go no, no, no. no, it was an Garrett, unintended Garrett. consequence. No, I mean, it was yeah, like it was one of those definitely. things that was buried in there that all of a sudden some people were like, "Oh, hey, we need you know some very smart women back then." We're like, "Oh, hey, they should be giving us just as much money as they're doing the men." Because it's a uh, there's not a lot of words in Title Nine. It's short. But because of its wording, it's very powerful. Really, what are the ramifications of Title IX as it comes to gender equality, but then you also have to bring in racial equality and sexual equality? Actually, the racial equality thing is interesting. I didn't have time to go into that when I was writing my paper on how Title IX is benefiting people of different socioeconomic mm -hmm. regions because, like, soccer especially in America is such a middle to upper middle class pursuit. It is, and it's it's so expensive, and it's very very difficult. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of leagues. You know, like one of, one of, one of the things that I do in my day to day job is is try to figure out how to make it cheaper for kids to play soccer. Yeah. Um, if you yeah, if you want to be on like a good like travel team or like get noticed, I know they're phasing out ODP now. But if you want to get noticed, like for yeah, for the national team, you have to spend. You, know, you have to be on an EC. You have to be in a club that's an ECNL team. You have to travel, you know, extensively within your region, um, and then you have to travel nationally as well. You know, and and you know, we're in an area like Oregon does not have ECNL as far as clubs go, but um, you know, there there rumors of expansion, you know, to Oregon, and and you know, playing for those clubs, you have your minimum yearly club fees are going to be anywhere from. I mean, in our area, I think it's cheap. You know, it's it's a thousand to twelve hundred dollars for a year-round program to be a part and that's of. That's sad. That's and sad that that's cheap. That's cheap. I mean, when you go to California, it's it's way way more, and you pay trainers, and you you know, parents invest in private lessons, and you know, I, I remember I could make a pair of copas, which now cost ninety bucks. I could make them last a good you know eight months when I was younger with all the soccer that I played, and that was. I mean, copas were, holy crap, like, you want copas? All right, you're going to be washing the dishes for six months. Um, and now kids get new shoes, you know, just like they get, you know, new jeans. Every every six months they get a new pair of cleats, and those things aren't cheap either. And No way. And when you yeah. travel, you know, for us in Oregon, when you travel down to San Diego for something like the Surf Cup, you know, you've got a minimum of a $350 round-trip airfare for the kid. They've got to pay into hotels. They've got to pay into rental cars. They have to pay for their coach's travel and the coaching expenses split up. They have to pay for food. They have to pay for gas. They have to pay split the, split the tournament fee. And, and these tournament fees now are like 800 bucks to play in a four-game tournament. It's ridiculous. Yeah, you got parents paying like four, five, $6,000 a year to try to get their, team, their, their kid 
onto like noticed by a scout or onto some yeah like, they yeah U20s or whatever. So exactly, and and when you consider ridiculous. how much that you know that actually goes into the college program. You know, they're hoping that if a kid goes down and doesn't play well in the surf cup, you know, they might as well, you know, not even talk to UCLA anymore. So, yeah, I mean, that also leads into like, why don't we see more racial diversity on the women's team in the United States? Like, there's your answer, because in in socioeconomic communities that are kind of lower on the economic ladder, they, they don't have the means to to pay, you know, five thousand dollars a year to get their kid on a premier travel team. Nope. So Joan, Joan from Available Substitutes uh, in Cross Conference has joined the conversation. She's tagged in for Gabby, who got frustrated and left. Thank God. Thank God. Problem. I mean, so I was like, oh my gosh, where can I do? What? How can I help? I, go to the <laughs> I mean, okay, so I mean, I appreciate you again. Hi, Joan. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Thrace. Joan, Joan, what are your thoughts on the topic? Well, you know, obviously, you're totally right. No, there's barely any racial diversity. Barely any economic diversity and beyond that there's not even geographic diversity um coming from a small state south dakota uh when you look at south dakota they didn't even sanction high school soccer as a a legitimate sport that high school students would play like as a like a real thing like they do with football and basketball until like 2009 what yeah i'm pretty sure it was 2009 2010 very 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 recently so it's not like and you have to look at where your best, best athletes are going in your country. Um, and they're definitely not going into soccer. There's no money there. And you have to have make a ton of money to even get noticed at the highest level, um, which is not a problem that they have, you know, on the men's side for, in countries like England. I look at, you know, like the book, uh, was it um, Fever Pitch, right? Mm-hmm. Nick Hornby. He, he has this whole little paragraph about, like, you know, there's no, like, the, the politics of playing just aren't quite as there because there's you know if you're a really great player you're just going to get noticed they're going to snap you up it doesn't matter where you come from you know how much money your parents make if you are an exceptional player they will find you and you will play for a team um and you can't really say that in america no there's there's some kid in the middle of nowhere louisiana who's great at soccer but will never get noticed by anybody Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, where do all the soccer players, they're all either East or West Coast right now, right? Yeah, I mean, California, Texas, Florida are kind of like the main hotbeds. I mean, Seattle's starting to, to really kind of build some very good good players coming out of that region. <laughs> Gabby, Gabby, who tagged out, is now booing at the mention of Seattle. <laughs> you will sometimes, I mean, every now and again, you'll luck out with, uh, like, someone from St. Louis or Brianna Scurry yeah. from Minnesota. Yeah, like, I mean, Christy Rampone place. from you know the dirty jurors yeah um but the, i mean that's not that's something that doesn't even happen in like women's basketball there's tons of like there's tons of great women's player from uh south dakota you know becky hammond um yeah uh, and it, it it's just it's just not something so soccer is yeah i think it's definitely more economically segregated and that just filters down into uh everything else yeah, I mean, you know, Colorado's put in some decent players. I mean, I'm looking at the at, at the under 20s, and you know, it's it's actually I'm looking at the under 20 roster right now, and it's it's decently diverse. I mean, you're not getting too many people through the middle middle sections, but you know, Colorado, Utah, California. Um, there's a kid from from Nevada on there. Ohio, Illinois, North Carolina. 
kid from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, a goalkeeper. Um, so, I, I mean, I mean, I, I hope it's getting better. I mean, the, the hope is that some of these, you know, ID programs that are taking over for ODP, like the U.S. Club Soccer, you know, ID2 program is taking over, you know, and, and really starting to kind of try to bring and build more players into the process rather than just kind of going with the old standbys. Because, you know, what, what has happened with ODP traditionally is that you will get college coaches who are the head of an age group or region and, it's like, hey, I want to recruit that kid, so let's put her in the regional pool. And then all of a sudden, that's how kids are kind of advancing up the ladder because you have some coach who's like, well, I can get you in here and do this for you. You know, that guy over there, he can't. And, and that's kind of how the recruiting works. But I think, you know, now with some of these programs that are getting more and more coaches that aren't college-based coaches, that are really, really good club coaches that can look at players and, you know, you have a club coach in Arizona that can, you know, look at a player from Utah and go, yeah, you're pretty good. Knowing that that coach has no ulterior motive to try to promote that player. You know, there's, there's no chance that he's going to recruit her to his club or anything like that. It's like, yeah, that's a good player. She should be, you know, moving, moving along the ladder. I would just like to know what like the average household income is by these players. So we could kind of call out what the youth soccer situation is in this country and be like, who knows what kind of talent we're missing out on because it's a pay-to-play system in this country. It, it it's is. ridiculous. It, it is. I mean, you are you are 100% right. The pay-to-play system is something that, you know, needs to go away. Unfortunately, it's it's a, a necessary evil that, you know, we're slowly and surely going to have to try to, to take out. But, you know, right now, until there's big money sponsors, it's the same, you know, kind of bringing this back around full circle. It's the same problem that, you know, women's soccer has traditionally, you know, getting somebody to actually bankroll and and put money in and say, yes, this is an important thing to do. And it's altruistic. You know, there's not going to be a large return on Sony or, you know, <laughs> Delta Airlines or whatever to sponsor Bridgestone a league. Tires. Yeah, right? I mean, honestly, what does Bridgestone get out of a U.S. soccer or an Alex know. Morgan deal? Like, it's ridiculous. Nesquik gets out of a sponsorship? I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. So it's going to have to be, you know, some some CEO standing before his board going, yes, I would like to reduce your stock payouts this year by $1 million each so that we can fund a youth soccer league. Like, <laughs> they're going to be like, yeah, no. I, I want my trip, so we're not going to do that. Let me ask you a question, though. If you if the United States wins the Women's World Cup in 2019, do you see some kind of, like, paradigm shift where we we kind of, like, cross over the hump? So it's not uphill. It's, like, after that, it's, like, companies all sort of – it's, like, a snowball effect, like, if we win in 2019. Well, there's there's still got to be the, the fan base and the payout. I mean, the reason, you know, to go, go back to it, like – El Himidor, when they started teaming up with U.S. Soccer, you know, their market share went way up from, like, Jose Cuervo and, and Ornitas and, and all that kind of stuff because the fan base that they were reaching just by broadcasting and having signboards at the men's soccer games went way, way, way up. Um, you know, do the women have the same returns? That's who doesn't get excited about the Olympics. and why, I mean, you just look at the Winter Olympics and, how how hard NBC had to work to promote other athletes once Lindsey Vaughn went down. Um, who else kind of dropped out of the Olympics that were kind of like big contenders? So you, you can see, Lane. yeah, <laughs> so you could see just how difficult it was for them to try to, and, and they still had really, really good viewership. So I think it's going to see, you know, be like, all right, does the NWSL A make it past year three like none of its predecessors, predecessors did? Um, 
but B, can they turn an advertising profit? So this has been another episode of Two Drunk Fans. I think we very successfully discussed Women's World Cup bidding when Gabby wasn't creepily whispering into the mic. What are you talking about? (laughs) Hint, hint, it's not going to go to Japan in 2019 because they aren't bidding. Gabby, give us your sexy NPR voice to sign off. For what? What do you want me to say? I didn't hear you. You know... Gabby, you know what NPR is. You were born in 1943. You were old enough to understand what NPR is. All right, fine. You You want me to just make up my own words? I will make up my own words. Um, Thank you for joining us on Delicious Dish. So thank you for listening to Two Drunk Fans tonight. Uh, Thanks for having me. We've had great conversations. God damn it. You guys are ruining my... (laughs) You have no it. idea what you're doing right now. I do. I you do. You want me to do this outro? No, I will do yeah, the outro. Yes, yes please. <laughs> Gab, it. shut up. For Gab, <laughs> shut your mouth. Just go away again. It's been Gab, a delightful evening here with the two drunk fans. I am Angela Harrison. Uh, thank you so much to my hosts, Gabby and Thrace. It's been an enlightening conversation. As usual, keep tuning in to two drunk fans because they know their shit. The drunker we get, the more shit we know. Is that okay. like your tagline? <laughs> no, our tagline is when you're here, you're family. Oh. That's so awesome. this has been True Drunk oh. Fans. Uh, myself and Thrace in Boston. <laughs> this is like the eighth um, goodbye that we've done. We're here in Portland with uh, Ange of, uh, well, shoot Ange. That's me. <laughs> That's me. Well, shoot me. And uh, we also had uh, Joan on from Cross Conference. Um, we'll probably also have some other drunken people on later on um, as we play more video games. Wow. And, um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the show. We'll talk to you guys later. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.